Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service here at Heathervale Baptist Church. Um, for those of you in the sanctuary, we can find our seats and then we can make a good start. For those of you on Zoom, hello, waving to you as always. And they're all waving back, I'm sure. Um, uh, we just pray that you will have a, a blessed time with us this morning. I'm Steve and I'll be leading you through the service. And Martin, our pastor, will be speaking to us uh, later on in the service. But I'm actually going to hand over to Martin now for a, a notice about tonight. Yeah, morning, uh, morning everyone on Zoom as uh, well as in here uh, in the sanctuary. Um, obviously, the situation in, in Ukraine continues to be of grave concern, um, and we feel it right as a church to continue to cry out to God in prayer. So please do join us next door in the lounge at six o'clock tonight for about an hour where we'll be uh, seeking uh, the intervention of God. Um, I was just reminded of a, of a scripture um, in John chapter 1 that says this, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or overcome it. And uh, we, we have a God who is light. His light will not be overcome, even in the Ukraine. And with that hope, we join together by faith to pray that more of God's light would shine in the darkness in the Ukraine and that God's will would be done on earth in Ukraine as it is in heaven. But we are very much called to pray that God's kingdom would come and his light would shine. So it seems to me that at one level it's the least we can do to come together to pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, but also at the same time it's the most we can do. Prayer is the means by which God's power and God's intervention are released. And so he calls us to pray um, for his power to be unleashed in the heavenly realms. So please do join us tonight, six o'clock, next door in the lounge. Let's stand united in prayer with our brothers and sisters around the world, because it's through prayer that the light of God will overcome. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. So it's, it's actually difficult when you're trying to put some worship together um, with what's happening in the world. Um, you know, looking, looking around at the songs when I was trying to put things together is, you know, we've got songs about God winning the victory and, and we know God does win the victory. Um, but is this the right time for those songs? Um, so as I was praying about what we should do this morning, I felt really drawn towards how, what, you know, the fact that we have a faithful God, the fact that we need to wait upon God. Um, and that God is always with us. And so that's, that's the reflection in the songs that, that I'm starting with this morning, is just recognizing that, that God is with us, um, and he's with the people in Ukraine, and, and the people in Russia. We know that God is, is with everybody, who you know, and, he, and he wants people to turn to him. So, so that's, that's really the heart of where I was coming from this morning. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to, to talk about, you know, God winning battles. Um, but actually, do we want, I, I just didn't feel like we wanted to have something that was quite, I suppose, saying jingoistic, but about, about warfare. So, so today is more, more reflecting upon the fact that God is with us and we have a very faithful God. So let's stand and let's sing together. We wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord our God. You reign forever, our hope, our strong
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storm of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near. And I will fear no these troubles but until that day comes still I will praise you still I will praise you let's bring our praises before our God this morning for his faithfulness for holding on to us Thank you, you never let go of me. 
You never have done, you never will do. I just ask your forgiveness for me letting go of you. Lord, we sing your praises. Lord, wow, what an amazing God you are. Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you in this church in every capacity. Wow, you're an amazing God. I love you. We love you so much. Amen. Paul's letter to the Romans. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has wrought through me to win obedience from the Gentiles, by word and deed, by the power and signs of the wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that I have fully preached in the gospel of Christ, thus making it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they shall see who have not been told of him, and they shall understand who have never heard of him. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Dear Lord, you give us the sun to warm us physically and the spirit of hope to warm us in these cold and desperate days. I, when there's trouble, as there is with my uh, granddaughter, um, Emily, who's getting a bit of disturbance at school, I can do nothing about it, so I can come, but I can come to you. When my daughter Rachel is getting disturbed by her neighbours, I can do nothing about it, so I come to you. And all those things that I can do nothing about, I can help my daughters in other various ways. I can make their kids sandbits, I can do small repairs, because their husbands are so busy at work and so on. But in all these other things, I come to you. And the things you give us, the very food that we eat, this world, that we take from for our sustenance. But you also give us the sustenance of yourself, Lord, for which I praise you. Amen. Lord, we just want to acknowledge your goodness to each one of us. Lord, as we meet here in relative safety and peace, Lord, we know that that's not the case around the world today. Lord, in just looking around, there are places in around the world where Christians are meeting in secret. Christians are hiding. But Lord, as Christians who are under fire and Lord we just want to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ to you now Lord we want to ask for you to just pour out your spirit upon them bless them Lord this morning as they sing their hymns Lord would you just raise them up Lord we do pray for an end to this warfare over in Ukraine Lord we plead before you right now Lord we just ask for this war to end we pray this morning especially for that humanitarian corridor that's supposed to be going on Lord we pray that that would allow respite that would allow people to leave that are frightened and scared and Lord we just ask for you to be with the, the people in Ukraine today we have some prayer pointers from BMS this morning they're they're asking us to pray for Poland that's taken so many refugees. So some of the prayer points that we've got this morning. Pray, Lord, for wisdom 
from you for those and strength from you for those who've opened their houses, churches and centers. Pray for the Polish people, Lord, that they, they would be able to show love to the Ukrainians as they come across the border and that God will bless the nation of Ukraine. Pray for the centers that have been set up that will be able to be provided with the items that are needed and to take care of the women and children and anyone who has need. Pray for the leaders of the Polish Baptist Union that they can have wisdom and the chance to have the right contacts to be able to help in the ministry. Lord, we pray for those people arriving in Poland. Lord, it's, it's cold over there, Lord. It's snowing. Lord, it's, it's not an easy journey. So, Lord, we do pray that you would just um, give them warmth, give them strength at this time. Lord, we pray for all the work that's going on in the country as well as in other countries around there, Lord, for, for the refugees and where they're going. Lord, we just pray there's such a humanitarian issue here, Lord, and we just pray for, for mercy and for wisdom. And Lord, we pray for those who are engaging in war, Lord. Lord, would you, would you just allow them to put down their arms? Would you allow those who are in power, Lord, to realize that what they're doing is wrong? Lord, we pray for, for change. We pray for you to be able to, to, to as, as much as this is, can be won in the heavenly realms, Lord, let it be stopped on earth as well. And so, Lord, we just, we just come before you now and we just, just plead for, for, for peace to break out. Lord, we thank you for your, your hand of mercy. And so, Lord, we just, we just want to come before you now and praise you as well as plead before you. Amen. Amen. We're now going to hear a, a message from Mark for the young people. So, what do you think of when someone asks you to think of a hero? What comes to mind? What makes a hero? Maybe it's someone who does something spectacular or who has amazing skills or someone who helps people. Or maybe you think of a superhero, someone like Superman with his amazing strength and X-ray vision, faster than a speeding bullet and the ability to fly across the sky. He helps people and is out to save the world. Or maybe you think of Spider-Man who can climb buildings like they're lying flat on the ground, swing through the streets and catch the bad guys in his web. He looks out for the little guy, those who are less fortunate, who are being victimized or mistreated. Or maybe you think of a real life person, maybe a sports star or a, a goat as they're known. That's the greatest of all time. Maybe someone like Muhammad Ali, who floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee. The hands can't hit what the eyes can't see. Or maybe in football, someone like Pele or David Beckham. And we can think of many more heroes, can't we? And during the pandemic, we often talked about our NHS heroes, didn't we? They went out of their way to help others. Or maybe as we look at the troubles in the world at the moment, the war on our doorstep in Ukraine, we think of those in our military who fight to protect our freedom. So here's a question. What do those heroes work for? Why do they do what they do? Maybe it's for medals or trophies, for honor or prestige, for money, for fame, for recognition, or maybe Oh, hang on a minute. That can't be right. That's a noose. I uh, don't know how that got in there. Anyway, maybe they want... Hang on a minute. I, I, I really don't know. Sorry about this. I, I don't really know what's going on because that's a guillotine. That's another thing like a noose that's used to kill people. It's used to execute criminals. And I don't think any hero wants to get executed do you so um let's carry on 
I don't know how these images have got there. I'm, I'm so sorry. And that, that's a cross. It's another form of torture and execution. Hang on. Do you know what? There's one superhero that we haven't mentioned yet. He's the greatest superhero of them all, isn't he? And that is Jesus. You see, Jesus, who is fully God and fully human, is the goat of superheroes. He is the greatest of all time. He was God, right? So he could do anything. He could have got rid of poverty in the world with a single word or healed all the sick with a wave of his hand or even defeated the Roman Empire and freed the Jews from their oppressors by force. And you know what? I think that is what the disciples and his followers expected him to do. I think that is what they thought of when they read the prophecies about the Messiah who would rule on David's throne forever. They thought he should be amazing and powerful. And of course, Jesus is all of those things and more, just not in the way they expected. And do you know what's more? I bet that is what Peter was thinking when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, when Judas betrayed him and they came to arrest him. I reckon Peter must have thought, This is it. This is the time that Jesus will stand up to the authorities and overthrow them. And so he took out his sword and he struck one of them, cutting off his ear. But that is not what Jesus had in mind. That is not how God and Jesus planned to save the world. Jesus simply reached out his hand and healed the man's ear before going with the chief priests and the soldiers calmly and quietly like a lamb to the slaughter. You see, Jesus was going to save the world with his love for it and sh to show his love for it, he had to suffer. You see, Jesus didn't come to save the world for his own glory, but for the glory of the Father. If he had defeated the Romans by force and healed all the sick in the world with his miraculous powers, which, of course, he could have done, then he would have received all the glory. And the victory would have been an earthly victory. But God's plan was much bigger than that. It was bigger than just the here and now. It was a plan for eternity. And Jesus was going to reconcile man to God for eternity and not for his own glory but for the glory of God. You see since Adam and Eve disobeyed God mankind had been separated from God because of things we do wrong and when we do things wrong or sin as it's known we deserve to be punished and that punishment is death but God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to die so his plan is to forgive us and to restore our relationship with him and to save us from death so how could he save us from death once and for all because the debt for the sin still had to be paid and the only way he could do that was for someone to pay the debt for our sin so our superhero jesus allowed himself to be mocked and beaten tortured and suffer and finally take upon himself all the sins of the world and die a criminal's death on the cross instead of us. But the story doesn't end there. You see, I said this was a plan for eternity and a plan to defeat sin and death once and for all. So after Jesus' execution, God raised him from the dead so death was defeated and we can have everlasting life with him and the father in heaven but remember this when you are suffering when things are tough when maybe things aren't going your way and you're struggling jesus knows how you're feeling and understands your pain because he's been there and he's felt that but he also promises that he will be there with you in your struggles, giving you the strength to carry on and continue to serve. He will help you to continue to give the glory 
to God. Thank you, Mark. It's now time for young people, I think. If we have any to go to groups, or are they going to groups today? No. <laughs> it's not time for any young people to go, because we don't have any. <laughs> As in, we've got some young, older young people, but they're staying in, so that's fine. Um, okay, so um, let's have this morning's reading, which is from Isaiah. Can I have it a little bit bigger? <laughs> My eyes aren't that good. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Carol. Uh, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle with, with many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which he has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Let's come and pray for Martin as we as he comes. And I'll also pray for the offering as well. Father, thank you for the good gifts that you give each one of us. Thank you that we can give back to you. And Lord, we just pray for the offering now that you would just use it to ex 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 expand your kingdom here in Newhall and, and around this this community lord lord there are many needs in this community so lord just help us meet those needs and father god we pray for martin as he comes to speak give him wisdom from you this morning lord may we hear from you lord open our ears and our hearts and our lives to you this morning we ask in jesus name amen Morning. Just uh, like to thank Steve and the uh, the worship team. I thought you struck a exactly the right balance there. So thank you. That was that was a great time of uh, opening worship. So we're we're on we're in our series in Isaiah 52 and 53, the suffering and glory of Jesus the servant, and uh, we're going to look at um, Isaiah's prophecy uh, this week, which is about Jesus. Um, Isaiah prophesied this 700 years before. Jesus was born into the world, before Jesus died on the cross, before Jesus was raised again from the dead, and before Jesus ascended back to heaven, and he's now exalted at the right hand of the Father again in heaven. And all of that is summarized for us in Isaiah 52, verses 13 to 15. Um, I put it in a diagram because uh, I thought this would help. I hope you can see that. It's a, it's a U-shape. So um, Isaiah summarizes this uh, life and ministry uh, of Jesus. Um, so on the left-hand side of the U arrow there, Jesus was in glory with the Father for eternity. Um, and then he allowed himself to take the form of a human, a servant. And he was humbled or he engaged in what's called the humiliation or the incarnation. When he was born to Mary in an animal feeding trough at that first Christmas, Jesus added a human nature to his eternal divine nature. And so when Mary and Joseph looked into the face of Jesus, the baby, they looked into the very face of God himself in that animal feeding trough. And then, of course, Jesus lived a life without, uh, without any home, um, he lived an itinerant life of preaching and ministry, and uh, he had nowhere to lay his, his, his head, and he lived a life of suffering. Um, but supremely, he suffered death by being executed on a cross. And in some ways, the crucifixion is, at the, is, at, is the low point of that you, but I would like to think of it as the turning point. The cross was the turning point in Jesus' ministry, because the cross led to the resurrection. Jesus defeated death and sin when he was raised from the grave, and then he ascended back to heaven 40 days after uh, the resurrection, and he's now exalted in heaven, and he's victorious at the right hand of the Father. Isaiah's prophecy begins in verse 13, 
with the right-hand side of the U, with the exaltation of Jesus. And then he moves back in verses uh, 14 and 15a to the humiliation, the incarnation of, of Christ in, in his human form. And then he finishes in the second half of verse 15 with the victory of Christ. So we're going to begin with Christ's exaltation in verse 13, the right-hand side of the diagram there. The suffering and death of Jesus looked like foolishness. There was the, the hoped-for Messiah hanging in agony and dying and breathing his last breath on the cross. Nobody, when they looked at that suffering Christ, would have thought this is the person through his ministry who's going to start a worldwide movement that's going to grow through the centuries. Kings and rulers would have scoffed, as did the Roman soldiers, and did so many who shook their head and mocked him as he hung there on the cross and said, if you're the son of God, why don't you ask a legion of angels to take you down from the cross? And yet, the gospels proclaim that Jesus was lifted up on the cross precisely to bring glory to God. So John, in his gospel, uses this language that we see in Isaiah. This is Jesus speaking, using the language of Isaiah. But when, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The horrible nature of crucifixion was that the crossbeam on which the person who was going to be crucified um, was tied to was laid flat on the ground and then nails were driven through their wrists and then obviously through the the ankles and the feet as well and they were literally lifted up on the crossbeam and dropped into um, a hole in the ground where Jesus would have hung there um, virtually unable to breathe in agony and in the heat naked for six hours while his life slowly drained away that's what jesus did for you jesus loved you so much he wanted to restore you to the father he wanted you to know the father so much that he was prepared to hang there in unbearable pain for six hours that's how much god loves you so I don't know how you've come this morning. Do you know this Jesus who hung and suffered for you? Do you know this God, the Father, who loves you so much that he allowed his son to suffer and die to pay for your sin? If you don't know him, why don't you reach out and cry out to him? Why don't you pray with someone this morning to know him? And yet this horrible instrument of torture and humiliation became the means by which Jesus was lifted up, not just on a cross, but he was raised up from the dead. He was lifted by God out of the tomb on the third day. And then, of course, Jesus was not just raised <clears throat> from the dead. He was lifted up. He ascended up to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. Jesus was lifted up and ascended to heaven, where he is now at the right hand of the Father. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, prophesied the lifting up of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection from the tomb, his ascension and exaltation back to heaven. Isn't this incredible? All of this through the prophet. Peter, preaching after Jesus ascended back to heaven, said it like this, Acts chapter 2, verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That's what Christ has done. Um, he poured out the gift of his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, 10 days after his ascension back to heaven. The Holy Spirit was like the victory spoils of war. Back in the uh, ancient times, uh, kings would come back to their uh, hometowns, their home cities, 
with a victory parade, with all the gifts and the spoils of war that they'd uh, won out over the enemy with. And this is a picture of Christ giving the gift of the Holy Spirit because he won out over Satan and over death. He poured out the victory spoils of his Holy Spirit on all who believed in him. And so the low point of the crucifixion was not actually a low point. It was a turning point. Um, I don't know if you're a chess player. Um, I am a little bit. I'm not a great chess player, but I like a little bit of chess. Um, it looked at the cross as though Satan had won. As Jesus died and breathed his last breath, it looked at that point as though G Satan had won. Um, it, if you like, God was in check. Um, here's a picture of check. Queen can take the king if the king doesn't move out of the way. But you'll notice that um, on that board there, the king can actually move. Um, we don't have the rest of the board, so you could see where the king could move. But trust me, that's, I'm told on good authority, this is check. <laughs> All right? So the, the king has to move, otherwise he'll be taken, um, but he can move out of the way. So God, sorry, Satan thought he had God in check, but God had one more move up his sleeve, and it was checkmate. Checkmate is when the king cannot move anywhere out of the way and it's game over. Once the king is taken, the game is over. And on that board there, there is nowhere uh, for the king to move. Um, can't, can't go anywhere without being uh, taken. And that was what God did. In the resurrection, Jesus was raised from the dead and he defeated death. And the penalty of death, which is sin, was overcome along with death itself. And the evil powers were defeated at the cross. The light shone in the darkness and the darkness was not overcome because Jesus was raised from the dead and he's now reigning at the right hand of the Father. And that's what we hold on to today. Light has shone in the darkness and the darkness will never ever overcome the light because Christ is alive, he's risen and he's reigning in heaven. So however dark it gets in this world and in Ukraine, the light will never be overcome and the Holy Spirit is God's victory gift living in you and me if you're a Christian you have the victory gift which is a down payment a guarantee a sign and seal that you will share in resurrection glory in a new heaven and a new earth because as a Christian you have the Holy Spirit living in you and that Holy Spirit will raise you up you will be lifted up from the earth with a new resurrection body when Christ comes again and you will live in a new heaven and a new earth with no more war, no more violence, no more suffering, no more pain. That's the good news. That's the hope in Christ. So let us hold on in these dark days to Christ alone. Secondly, Christ's humiliation the left-hand side of the diagram. But before this victory came the horrible suffering and disfigurement of Jesus. Um, if you've ever seen the film, The Passion of Christ, and it is an 18, so clues in the certificate, it is harrowing, but it is probably pretty accurate when it came to the whipping scene. Um, according to the uh, third century church historian Eusebius, I quote, the sufferer's veins were laid bare and the very muscles, sinews and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. The victim was whipped with leather interwoven with sharp, jagged bone and lead. Their flesh was ripped off their body. And then if that weren't enough, a crown of thorns was thrust onto Jesus' head so that the blood ran down through his hair and face he was mocked and spat on by a battalion of about 600 men. He would have been hit about the face and head. And he was then forced to carry a heavy crossbar on his bleeding shoulders. Many didn't even survive the whipping, leave alone carrying the crossbar. And then he was dropped in the ground for six hours while he hung on to life. 
And Isaiah prophesied this horrible suffering and disfigurement in verse 14. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. Some of the images uh, on the screen in the news this week have been horrible, sickening, um, almost impossible to watch. The disfigurement of people's people, buildings, the whole nation. I don't have easy answers this morning, but I do know that the Son of God endured disfigurement and horrible suffering because we have a God who does not stay remote away from human suffering and fallenness and brokenness. We have one in Christ who enters into the suffering and pain, disfigurement and horror of a dark and broken world. I don't have answers for suffering and injustice, but I do know a God who loves the world so much that he enters into the pain and suffering and horror of our broken world. You see, Jesus' blood poured down and was shed for a purpose. The purpose of Christ's blood being shed was to sprinkle and cleanse the nations. That's what Isaiah says in verse 15. If we can just put that up. Thank you. So he will sprinkle many nations. Um, we have four baptisms coming up and uh, one of the joys of sitting down with new Christians and doing baptism classes is that all over their face is written joy and thanksgiving. Um, all of them, everybody getting baptized has said to me that they are amazed that God should clean them up of their sin and that God should love them so much that he sent Jesus so that they could be washed clean of their sin. I'm not putting words in their mouth. This is what they've said to me, that they have been forgiven, made new and washed clean by Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And baptism is a symbol of that. When somebody goes under the water and emerges and is lifted up out of the water, that's a sign that Jesus has made them a new creation, that they've been washed clean. I'm saying to you this morning, if you haven't been baptized, why? If you're a Christian, and you've never been baptized, you should be baptized. Not because I'm telling you, and I'm the pastor, Jesus said, be baptized for the repentance of your sin, to show the world that you belong to me, you belong to Christ, that you've been washed clean, made new. That's why Jesus' blood was shed. His blood pays the penalty of death, which is for sin. Um, in the Old Testament, seems rather uh, gory and uh, quite frankly, far removed from us. But an animal had to be sacrificed and its blood sprinkled um, on the altar in the temple. And Moses sprinkled the blood of an animal on the people. Why did he do that? Because it showed that we cannot survive in the presence of God and live. In fact, God said to Moses, you cannot see me and live. God is so holy, so powerful, so glorious, we just cannot be in his presence. It would be, getting, it would be like getting too close to the sun and expecting to survive. It's not gonna happen. We would die in the presence of God, so powerful, so glorious, so sovereign, so holy, so utterly sinless is he, we cannot survive in his presence. It'd be like going into space without any breathing apparatus. And so as a sign that we are sinners in the presence of a holy, perfect, just, amazingly powerful God, the life of an animal had to be taken. And that was symbolized by the blood being shed and sprinkled on the people and on the altar. It was a sign of a life needing to be taken 
so that our sin could be dealt with. And that was why the, in the Old Testament, the people had to sacrifice um, an animal. The, the death of the animal was a substitute. It paid the penalty for the sin of the people so that they could stay in relationship with God. And Christ, when he died on the cross, his blood was shed once and for all. We no longer need animal sacrifices because Jesus has paid the penalty for sin, which is death, in our place as our substitute once and for all and done away with the need for more bloodshed. He has sprinkled us and washed us clean, forgiven us of our sin. We are forgiven, set free, made new. I just want to say to you this morning, do you know this Jesus who's, who died on the cross and shed his blood so that you could be cleansed, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could know God? Do you know him? Have you submitted to him? Have you prayed a prayer asking him to come into your life and forgive you for your sin? Have you asked for the Holy Spirit to come and live in you? Why don't you at the end of the service take that step of faith? I'm asking that because I know that God speaks through his word and I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone's heart this morning and saying, why don't you submit to Jesus today? So find a Christian friend, pray with them, pray the prayer where you submit to Jesus and invite him into your heart. And here's where Isaiah ends, verses 15, B, 15 B and C. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. That includes Putin. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. You see, to the world, the cross looks like foolishness. But God's foolishness, according to Paul, is greater than man's wisdom. The cross is God's wisdom because it's the power of God for the salvation of human beings. What looks like foolishness to the world, it's God's display of power and glory. Because the cross is not the end of the story. The cross leads to the resurrection. The resurrection leads to the ascension. And now Christ is at the right hand of the Father and he's coming again to renew the heavens and the earth and to bring his kingdom to consummation. D-Day has happened. VE Day is yet to happen. We are living with the skirmishes of an ongoing battle, but the light will not be overcome. Isaiah prophesied all of this 700 years before the birth of Christ, and now we're seeing the fulfillment of it. We're living in the days of, of exaltation. The spirit has been given. Christ is coming again. The plan of God has not been thwarted by human sin and evil, and by the darkness of the dark powers. Christ's word stands forever. Kings and nations have never heard or seen such a thing as a man dying the death of a criminal and birthing a worldwide explosive movement. You know, as Mark showed it so uh, clearly, people of influence are normally powerful and strong. Jesus was crucified in humiliation and shame. Kings, kings and nations didn't understand that this Jesus who was humiliatingly crucified would go on to birth a worldwide movement. Um, Historian Kenneth Scott Latourette noted, Christians have always been in danger. They were chronically regarded with suspicion. They were forced to give their possessions to those who brought a successful accusation against them. Confiscation of goods, imprisonment and torture might overtake them at any time, followed by hard labor in the mines or execution. Yet the faith persisted in spite of these storms. Not even the full weight of the mightiest of ancient empires, animated by the bloodlust of tyrants who believed themselves to be gods among men, could thwart the will of God. The mightiest empires and rulers have been silenced. Their mouths have been shut by the death and resurrection of Christ and the expansion of Christians globally. 
Early in the fourth century AD, the Roman Emperor Constantine adopted Christianity and Christianity spread across the Roman Empire. And the reason that historians, secular and Christian, agree is because Constantine adopted a faith that was already successfully spreading across the continent. As the ancient historian Tertullian wrote, the oftener we are mown down by you, the more in number we grow, the blood of Christians is seed. I don't know if you're aware of the explosive growth of the church today and in the early centuries, but here's Larry Hurtado, uh, a Christian historian. He writes, there may have been as many as a thousand Christians in 40 AD. It's only less than 10 years after the resurrection of Jesus. About seven to 10,000 by 100 AD, about 200,000 by 200 AD, and by 300 AD, perhaps five to six million. That's exponential growth, isn't it? From the seeming hopeless, humiliating death of the Messiah on the cross comes a movement that within three, less than 300 years has grown to five to six million worldwide. And today, this is the largest faith group in the world with approaching three billion adherents. So when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. His word has been proved true. I don't know whether you're aware, there are now six times more Anglicans in Nigeria alone than there are in all of the US combined. There are more Presbyterians in Ghana than in the US and Scotland combined. Korea has gone from 1% to 40% Christian in 100 years. Just listen to China, the figures here. You know, bearing in mind the oppression of China and its attempts to eradicate all faiths, including Christianity, Bart Ehrman, a historian, states that in 2010, in China, there were 68 million Christians, 5% of China's population. Estimates are that in eight years' time, 2030, there could be more Christians in China than in the US. And that by 2050, China could be a majority Christian country. That's despite huge persecution and oppression. Why do I give you all of these numbers and history? I give it to you because there is a bigger picture of God's involvement in the world than we often see. We see the pictures on our TV screens and they are harrowing and they should drive us to our knees in prayer. But God, you see, is fulfilling his prophecy on a global level in ways that are hidden and mysterious to us. But this is where we have to trust that his word goes forth and will accomplish that which he's promised. Somebody said to me yesterday at the uh, seniors, and I challenged it. There's a lady who said to me, I don't think God is big enough and powerful enough to deal with what we're seeing on the news in Ukraine. And I said, I've got to disagree with you there. And I gave her the example in the Second World War of Dunkirk and the way that the king called for Christians, for the nation to pray, and the way that God intervened through the weather to stop the crossing. And she went, oh, yeah. We have a God who is in the business of miracles. We have a God who, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will will be done on earth. He acts. Like you, I've been struggling this week. Everything I'm doing seems trivial. Is anybody else? Just seems irrelevant, trivial somehow. And I was, found myself with tears in my eyes, crying out to God, saying, Lord, where are the miracles? Do you know what I felt the Holy Spirit said to me yesterday? I am working miracles. They're not being reported on the news. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We've got to stand shoulder to shoulder in prayer with Christians around the world at this time to see this evil overcome.
There is no other way. There is no doubt that God is shaking the foundations of the earth in these days. Massive loss of life, untold suffering, grief, homelessness, poverty, mass immigration, fear, huge economic impacts for us and the whole world for years to come. But that's not the story that dominates our horizon. The story that dominates our horizon is our hope in Christ. Our hope is not in NATO, ultimately. Our hope is not in the economic picture. It's not in the military. Our hope is in Christ alone. Our hope is in the fact that Christ is coming again to renew the heavens and the earth, to banish all sickness, all death, all evil, all suffering, all injustice. And we continue to cry out today, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven until he comes, until we see that light dawning fully. I was so glad, Steve, you chose that song, the Matt Redman one. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. How appropriate that is. There is a light that is coming. One day there will be the fullness of the kingdom. We will see the light in all its glory of Christ. Christ will dwell among us. But today we pray that more of that light would overcome the darkness. God will never let go of us. So let's not let go of him. Let's pray. Jesus, we don't understand the scope of the suffering. We feel the pain of this world. Lord, we don't understand it. And yet, Jesus, we thank you that you did not stay remote, but that you entered into the suffering and pain of this world. You hung on the cross for six hours in unbearable pain to redeem this world. And we thank you and we bow the knee again. And we thank you, Jesus, that the cross is not the low point, but the turning point in history. That the cross led to the resurrection, the resurrection led to the ascension, and the ascension has led to the exaltation of Christ, and that he is coming again in glory to renew the heavens and the earth. Lord, help us to hang on to your plan of salvation. Help us to trust in you in these days. Lord, may we be faithful and persevering in prayer. But Lord, strengthen us with power in our inner being until you come again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Christ is coming. Let's stand and sing together. Arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies. An army Son of God is stricken, then she is born.
in every stride. Lord, as we go out into this week, Lord, give us strength, give us hope, give us the knowledge that you are with us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.